invite you to turn with me uh, to the Gospel of Luke. We're in the 14th chapter this morning as we walk with Luke and his telling of the good news of Jesus Christ. And we enter this chapter in this season of Lent, which is a season of fasting, but on Sundays it's a season of feasting, uh, which is great. We have a feast after the service today, so we're just trying to inhabit these rituals here. So stick around if you're able to do that. It's also interesting because uh, Jesus invites us through this passage to feast with him. In fact, the question at hand in the parable before us is is basically, what is the nature of the the kingdom? What is it to eat bread in the kingdom of God? Another way to ask the question might be, uh, what is the ethic of the kingdom of God? What are the righteous manners that govern kingdom life in Jesus? Well, Luke 14 here unpacks the kingdom ethic by focusing on what it is to love your neighbor. So Jesus has been teaching on what it is to love your neighbor. And here Jesus models and he teaches uh, the kingdom way, the way to love God, the way to inhabit his kingdom is to love your neighbor. And that is done here at table with Jesus. If the kingdom of God is an eternal feast, then Jesus says, come on, let's start feasting in the here and now. So that's where we're going. I invite you to join me with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we're grateful that you've given us your word. Feed us now that we might be satisfied in you and in your word. May we hold fast to your truth and live according to it, that we might take on the image of Christ from one degree of glory to the next. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. As we look at Luke 14, just want to remind us that almost the last breath of uh, chapter 13 has the following words on Jesus' lips. Jesus says, people will come from the east and from the west, from the north and the south. They will recline at table in in the kingdom of God. They will recline at table. The people from east, west, north, south will recline at table. So what do we read as chapter 14 opens? Verse 1, one Sabbath. When Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. Verse 7, Jesus told a parable to those who were invited to this feast, right? And he noticed how they chose the places of honor. Verse 12, he said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite friends, brothers, relatives, etc. And then verse 15, when one of those who reclined at table with Jesus. So this is all about reclining at table, just like he talked about in chapter 13. What is the kingdom of God? It is a feast. That's what Jesus says. If we were to read our chapter in its entirety, we would see that Jesus, it alternates. Jesus is seen feasting at table, and then he tells a parable. Then he's feasting at table again, and then he tells another parable. It seems that what's happening at table in the meal and what's happening in Jesus' word as teaching is is the same thing. It functions the same way. Jesus is showing the way of his kingdom. Feasting in the love of God in word and deed. Back to last week's sermon, the passages there highlighted the fact that Jesus has an open door to the kingdom of God. And he's telling those that are listening to him, they're saying, he's saying, that the door is open for you to enter in, but you must enter through me, and you also must know that the door will not remain open forever here. The door 
will soon be shut. Jesus is that door to enter the kingdom of God. You must go through him. But what is it to enter that kingdom? What does that kingdom look like? The nature of that kingdom, the manner in which the citizens of that kingdom live. Well, Jesus makes it really tangible, doesn't he? He takes it from the big realm of a kingdom image to that of a feast. He brings us to a table to show us the way of the kingdom. Chapter 14, beginning at verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with Jesus heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. From the very opening here, we see Jesus is connecting the kingdom of God to this feast. The way of heaven transforms the way of earth. If the kingdom of heaven is a feast, then the kingdom of earth is to be a feast as well. We pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is describing the way of the heavenly kingdom as a great banquet, an eternal feast. So the kingdom of God on earth must be something like that at least. It must at least resemble some kind of feast in heaven. Jesus is here at table and he's feasting. He does that a lot. More times in the Gospel of Luke than in the other Gospels. So chapter 14 is basically one long feast. If we were to soak in the whole chapter, it would be sitting down at table with Jesus, enjoying his presence, and listening to him teach. Verse 1 says again, one Sabbath when Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees. That's the context. He goes into the house of a ruler of the religious leaders. And what is the religious leader, this Pharisee, wanting to do? And those with him, they are watching him carefully. Jesus is feasting with religious leaders who watch him closely. That's a strange reason to invite somebody to eat, by the way. Do you ever have somebody over? It's like if you're sitting with a little kid at a table and they're just staring at you. It's kind of awkward for a little while, right? And they're just watching him. They're waiting for him to do something to convict him, right? Jesus tests them. He says there's a man with dropsy. And this is the Sabbath, it says right there. So Jesus asks, is it okay to heal this guy on the Sabbath? Or is it breaking the law if I were to heal? What Jesus is basically saying, can I love my neighbor on the Sabbath? Is that obedience to the law? Is it lawful to love my neighbor, to heal, to restore, to make whole? Verses 7 through 11, then Jesus tells a parable about another dining, uh, sitting to dine with uh, others. And, and there he talks about seating arrangements at the table, which were when, wherever you sat, that was a, a status symbol, right? The more important people would sit in the higher places. It's an indictment, this parable here, against those who were seeking to exalt themselves societally, but also before God, in the eyes of God, their righteous deed, climbing the social ladder of righteousness. But Jesus is saying, hey, this isn't the kingdom ethic. The kingdom ethic is to humble one's self and have God exalt you. Verse 12 through 14, the lens of Luke then hones back in, zooms in on the table with Jesus once again. And Jesus describes the, those who are lost, those who will be thought of as lost in society, the diseased, the disabled, the poor, the sinners, the tax collectors. 
while all other kingdoms work by inviting influential people into your house, and then those influential people will invite you into their house, and you continue to elevate yourself in the social status, right? Jesus' kingdom works utterly different. To eat bread in God's kingdom is to invite those who cannot repay, who cannot increase your social status. Now, you won't receive repayment from them in this life, but Jesus promises resurrection life and reward in his kingdom. These three opening sequences here seem to point out that, that we are to live as citizens of God's kingdom now. The question of our man in uh, verse 15 seems to be, blessed is everyone who will eat sometime down the road when the kingdom comes in its fullness. Blessed is the one who will eat in that kingdom. And Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is among you. Do you have kingdom manners? All of these ideas are resonating around the table here as Jesus eats. And so he takes up a new parable of a man giving a great banquet. What is it to eat bread in the kingdom of God? What is it to live this blessed life? Jesus begins the parable Verse 16, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at that time, for the, at, at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Come, see the door is wide open. But in order to feast, you have to respond to the, the servant. The master sends out a servant. You've got to respond to the one who is calling you in to the feast. God's servant is Jesus Christ, the long-awaited Messiah, the suffering servant. And the master, the father, has sent his servant son to gather people in. Verse 18. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. Another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. But, you know, the feast is ready. Come on in. But, that's what Luke says, but those invited didn't come. We're all familiar with that conjunction, right? And what comes after that is an excuse. But, so three different times excuses are given. Now, to give a positive look at those excuses, it does seem to me that each of those excuses has something to do with fulfilling the law. There's responsible, responsibility for allotted property, care and reparation for livestock, social exemptions for newlyweds. Perhaps these are a bit flimsy excuses. Uh, maybe the legitimate concerns that do require attention but Jesus is, or the master is calling them to a, a higher good, a higher call to feast with the master, and they are refusing. I mean, did you really not know what the field was like before you bought it? Have you not examined the five yoke of oxen before you bought them? Why not take your wife to the feast? Jesus has been feasting with these religious leaders. He's been rebuking. He's been teaching. Those who follow the law most closely those who seem, in the eyes of most, to be fit, sound people in the faith, those would not be considered the lost people for sure, proper candidates for citizenship in God's kingdom. And yet those are the ones who have been invited, those are the ones 
who reject Jesus, who reject his way of the kingdom, who refuse his kingship. Jesus is inviting, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Come, feast upon my love, my joy, my peace. But they attend to matters of the law, to the neglect of the feast. The invitation in this parable that said, come, now everything is ready. If we place that in the context of Israel's history, it reminds us that, that Israel's history has been a long time in setting this table, right, before us here. It's been a long time. The, 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 it's been a slow-cooked meal, well-prepared for the time that is now ripe in Jesus' coming. God's people have been looking for signs of this feast, awaiting, anticipating the arrival of God's rule and reign with holy and, and, and definitive wait. But now that the master's servant calls through his servant, those who are most uh, attentive to the details of the law, those who are more, most eager to see the kingdom uh, come, those are the ones who are asking to be excused. Jesus is in their midst. But, they say, but... They say, verse 21, so the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry, said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city, and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. The master's anger is relatable, isn't it? We've been scorned by those we love, spent our courage to invite others in but have been refused given so freely to friends or even children, and yet receive only ingratitude. This anger of Jesus is saturated with sorrow for the sake of those who refuse the master's feasts. And what we see in Jesus is that he is angry and he is sorrowful. We'll see in a few short chapters that Jesus actually stands at the gates of Jerusalem and he weeps for Jerusalem, for God's people, those whom the master invites to the feast. How often he prays, how often he says, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Would that you had known on this day the things that make for peace. Jesus' life, his journey from the north down to Jerusalem, all of his life and ministry has been an invitation to those whom God is calling to enter a feast. And they refuse. Now, what's interesting in part about Luke 14 is the place where salvation occurs. We might expect that to happen in the temple. Sure. Where does it happen? It happens at table here. Important and glorious as temple worship is, salvation is worked out in the context of neighbor conversation, of festival hospitality, of self-deference to others. The religious ruler's expression, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God, that expression is an indication that life will come, that the kingdom will come, and we await that fullness. We await that kingdom to invade or to come in its fullness here, but, but we don't wait for the kingdom to come. Jesus says the kingdom is among us. The kingdom is in your midst. The man might have in mind, if I just stay clean enough, then I will be able to enter the feast. If I tithe enough, if I give enough, then kingdom blessing will eventually come. 
But Jesus is presenting a different way. He's presenting a kingdom that presses into the present. A kingdom that shapes the heart for the kingdom way to be lived out today, in these moments. In Jesus, the kingdom of God is in our midst. His kingdom way forms a new people here now. So earlier, Jesus instructs feasters to take humble seats, or he instructs hosts to invite those unable to repay. So one can imagine the scribe or the Pharisee beginning to jot down notes. Okay, here's another law, right? I got to give everything I own to the poor, right? I've got to do, do good deeds on the Sabbath, and the law keeps getting longer. But Jesus seems to be saying in his parable that those who are making excuses, they, they refuse to enter the kingdom. But although they are the ones following the law, their heart remains far from the king of the kingdom. They're excusing themselves from the feast. New laws don't inherit the kingdom. Rather, new citizens inhabit the kingdom way already. For the king who lives and his kingdom way is amongst them. Entering the kingdom is to begin feasting already with Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God is in their midst, but the heart of the kingdom is not in them. They refuse the king and his feast. They refuse the kingdom way, so they remain outside. As they remain outside, the master then presses on. The master sends the servant and he's in order to call other kingdom citizens in. Verse 22 says this, the servant said, sir, what you've commanded has been done and there's still room. The master said to his servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. What does this tell us about the feast? You notice that? It's a big feast. A lot of people rejected it, but the servant goes out and he invites more in. After he's accomplished that task, he says, look, there's still a lot more room. The master sends him back out. Go and get more. Compel more to come in. It is a big feast. It is a big kingdom. And the work of compelling, of calling others in, inviting others in, is far from done. People will come from the east and the west, from the north and the south, and recline at table in the kingdom of God. The door remains open, and more will come in. But there's also the warning, those who made the excuses, those who refused to come in through the narrow door, that door will eventually be shut. As the master says, none of those shall taste my banquet. And we who have sought to serve our master, who long to feast with his people, we are to imitate the master's servants, to take up the mantle of compelling others to come in. We are feasters. We are those who feast with the living God, and we are calling people to a feast, to a heavenly banquet on the master's love, joy, and peace. Ours is to join in the feast, to partake of it, and then to invite others in as well. Does this describe our way of life in Christ? Is it a feast? Would others look at our lives and say, that looks tasty? If we move on, we see it's not only a tasty banquet here. There's a cost, right? The servant invites freely and they come in freely, but there is a cost as well. 
Were we to read the next section, we would see the cost of following Jesus, as he says in other places, is to what? To deny ourselves, to take up our cross, and to follow him. In short, entrance into following Jesus or into the kingdom feast requires a renunciation of ourselves. Our identity is to be a citizen of God's kingdom above all else. And we're to live as citizens of God's kingdom in this present age, and not just at some future age to come. But now, to feast at the master's eternal banquet is to dine now in the kingdom way, which means there is a continual renouncing of self. To take on the yoke of Jesus, to be led by him and for him. In the novel Wind, Sand, and Stars, the author recounts the life of a pilot who carries mail. Doesn't seem very glorious to us. But this is at the day when, when piloting, when flight was just being pioneered. So these mail carriers would be out in an open cockpit plane, and any wind or storm coming up would threaten them. The, 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 the death rate was high amongst these pilots. He said in order to fly these on a regular basis, one had to renounce everything, to detach oneself utterly from possessions, to hold relationships loosely, to even hold one's life loosely, for death was ever close at hand, he describes it. And he recounts walking down the streets en route to the, to the plane for his flights. And people would come out of the, the shops as the pilots would come in their gear for open cockpit flight. Passers-by would admire the flight uniform, would respect the courage, would applaud the way of these men as they take their post. But the pilot, he says, must always renounce even that, lest they remain rooted in the praise of the present. The author notes that in renouncing everything, the pilot is utterly free. Walking towards imminent death, there is joy set before the pilot, as the author states. He says it this way, there is an intoxication of renunciation. There is an intoxication of renunciation. It costs everything to pursue this good, but in the giving up of everything, there is glory, there is joy, there is life. We renounce self in order to feast on kingdom love, joy, and peace. Jesus concludes the chapter here with a call to action. Verse 34, he says, salt is good, but if it's lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? The call to action, he says, he who has ears, let him hear. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Salt is good, but if salt loses its taste, its savor, its preservative power, how can it be restored? The religious leaders of Jesus' day, Jesus has been inviting them to the master's feast. But like the prodigal son's elder brother, they remain outside. The door is open, and yet they remain outside while the feast goes on inside. Their way is upright, but they have no savor. They have no preservative effect. Same for us who follow Jesus. Have we lost our saltiness, preservative nature, flavor, and savor? Those who look upon others with contempt, does this mark our lives as it did those of the Pharisees? Oh, they inhabited 
a way of life, but it was not the kingdom way that Jesus endeavored to give. This Savior, this servant, is to bring others into a feast. Will we not come into this feast? Is the way of the kingdom manifest in our lives, in our words, in our deeds? To follow our Savior is to follow the servant's way and invite others in. Are we seeking to rest on our Sabbath from our regular toil as we talked about in the first six verses? And is this rest a mere ceasing from things or is it a pursuit of good, of godliness, of restoration, and of healing of those around us? Are we so concerned about our social status and power that we seek higher positions, seeking to leapfrog others? See, Christ is the way of humility, pursuing excellence in hard work, but never in pride and arrogance. He says, those who exalt themselves will be humble, but those who humble themselves, Christ will exalt. We cannot exercise neighbor love unless we first inhabit the holy hospitality of Jesus Christ. He promises an eternal banquet, and he invites us to taste of that banquet in this life, in this here and now. It is not a matter of meriting such a feast, for who could, who could merit such a feast as that? It's a matter of maturing in the image of Jesus Christ, who is the master servant, who gives himself that we might feast. Likewise, as we mature in the image of Christ, we give ourselves that others might feast on Christ. So the invitation remains for those in Christ to come and drink deeply of his rich and varied grace. Come, be strengthened by his holy bread. We are his servants, sent out even to the highways and the hedges, inviting the lost and the least into the greatest of all feasts, into the kingdom of God. The gospel we preach with our lips and our lives is that the door of the kingdom is wide open, but one day it will be shut. Our lives are but vapors. Our hearts are prone to wander, our nature corrupt with sin. But Jesus has come. He has feasted upon the renunciation of self. He has dined in the depths of death, and he has drank the cup of wrath that we deserve. And what he offers to us now is an eternal banquet in his love, his joy, his peace, now and forevermore. So as we depart this day, we go forth as his servants, calling all people to enter God's kingdom through Jesus Christ, who delights to feast us now and forevermore. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word. We ask you would bless us now in the hearing of it that our lives might be transformed by your grace, your mercy, and your love, that we might exhibit to others the life of your kingdom. As we feast upon your grace, help us to extend that grace to others that they might feast on your grace as well, that their lives might be changed to represent Christ more clearly as well. We pray all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.